Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dog Lab, Episode 8, Part 2 of 2, with Dr. Catherine Kompetis. This is Brian Burton. For a full introduction to Dr. Catherine Kompetis, see the episode notes or listen to the beginning of Episode 8, which was Part 1 of 2. But as a reminder, she is a professor of social work at NYU. She has a master's degree in animal behavior and specializes in animal-assisted therapy and the grieving process. In this episode, we discuss a topic that is all too familiar for those of us who have lost a dog, pet grief. Sammy was my first dog as an adult that went through my training journey with me. We adopted him as a young rat terrier in 2009, and within a few years, we were traveling all over the country competing in rally obedience, where he was one of the top mixed breeds and competed in two national competitions. He was one of the best friends I've ever had, and his patience and love is something I'll honestly never forget. He was one of the best teachers in terms of how to live life. Run fast, bark loud was his life motto, we would say, and he lived life to the fullest and ignited my love of rat terriers. But then on an awful winter evening, But then on an awful winter evening, all of that changed when Sammy was hit by a car. He died in our arms, and it was one of the most traumatic experiences I have ever gone through. Also, let me use this as an opportunity to tell you that no matter how well trained your dog is, and Sammy was impeccably trained both on and off leash, a physical fence is always safest. Sammy took off when I was cleaning my gutter and didn't look at him for literally seconds. It can happen fast, and it often does. After Sammy passed away, we got our rat terriers, Joey and Jackie, who we absolutely love and I refer to on the show all the time. We installed a fence since then, and it's taken me a long time to deal with Sammy. And while it's gotten much easier, it hasn't all gone away. I suspect it never will. If you can take one thing away from this episode, it's this. Don't let anyone tell you it's just a dog. It's not true, and it's not appropriate. This is because they are not just a dog. They are a family member, and the grieving process needs to be respected as such. So for those of you dealing with or will deal with this in the future, I hope you find this episode comforting and helpful. And this episode is dedicated to Sammy and to Buster, the first instinct helper dogs who are no longer with us, and will certainly never be forgotten. Remember to follow us on Twitter at doglab underscore podcast, or send questions or episode ideas to doglab at instinctdogtraining.com. So once again, here is Dr. Catherine Kompetis. So moving into the other topic here that really interesting to me would be really interesting for a lot of people listening because if you've had dogs, unfortunately, if you've had them for long enough, you've had to deal with loss of a pet, uh, a dog or a cat or a horse or or whatever. And I think that until you go through that loss, especially with an animal that you've had a really close relationship with, it's like a very different, I I shouldn't say it's a different grieving process. It's a complicated grieving process. You know, I've never lost a, you know, I don't have children. So I've never like lost a child. I haven't even lost a parent. So I so I don't know. But what I will say is losing like Sammy, who was who was my rat terrier, who I traveled around and competed with, and he went through all my training journey with me. And um, you know, when he passed away, it was like it was like missing a piece of me. And I feel like there's definitely I'm thankful that 
I'm in an industry where people understood where I was coming from and, and have support of family and that sort of thing. But there's definitely, you know, some people who would make comments like, oh, it's just a dog or or whatever. And my hack will still go up when I when I, I think about someone saying that now because it's such an inappropriate thing to say to someone. But it is it, it is a tough process going through that. And I know that that's an area where I think you wrote a case study about yourself and how that's something you care about. So what have you looked at there and why do you care about this? Are people starting to take this more seriously? And what are you recommending, I guess, for other licensed professionals helping people deal with pet loss? That's a really great question. So it's the reason that people can be so dismissive is we we still categorize pet loss as what we call a disenfranchised grief. So it's kind of not a socially acceptable type of grief. So for example, when somebody has a miscarriage, oh, well, but you didn't carry the baby to term, why are you upset? Or if somebody elects to terminate a pregnancy, oh, well, you chose that. You know, how can you be mm. sad about it? But you can't be sad about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So like you said, people sometimes don't recognize the strength of this bond. And like I said, sometimes these animals, and like you said, I wrote about when my lab passed, Morgan, you know, sometimes these animals can provide a secure bond that maybe we didn't have in childhood or we don't receive from other humans. And when that secure bond, when when spending time with that animal, and studies have actually shown that people are more likely to confide in their animal when they are stressed out than other people. And if you suddenly have that coping technique taken away from you, you can be absolutely in a lot of distress because what do you do now? How do you cope with this loss when that was the way you cope? And society, like you said, when Morgan passed, I I went to a doctor and I said, you know, I'm really distressed. And he said, I get another dog. And so Mm. because I am a social worker, because I'm a clinician, my response was that I printed out information on pet loss and came back and gave it to him and said, please learn because what you said was not appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, but most people wouldn't know that and they would feel absolutely invalidated. But what people need to know is that it's very valid, your feelings of loss. It's very normal. It's very understandable. It is not only okay but it is expected. This was, you know, a member of your family. And and it's absolutely expected that you would be distressed. And it's part of the normal grieving process. And grief doesn't, it's not linear. It goes in spirals. Mm-hmm. It feels slightly better one day and slightly worse the next day. And then better and then worse. It's not that you slowly get better over time. It takes generally about a year to start really getting better because you have to pass all those big birthdays and holidays and things like that. Mm -hmm. But it's people need to know that it is okay. And so that's one of the, the things with pet loss is that group counseling for pet loss, um, group therapy actually can be super, super helpful because there are other people that understand what you're going through will normalize the behavior. They'll say, it's okay, it's normal, it's what I feel too. What I have found that's really very cool is that Facebook now has some amazing 
pet loss support groups. And this is something that we didn't have before. And Facebook, I have mixed feelings on Facebook in general, because there's a lot of not happy stuff that goes on there. The support groups are amazing. So when Morgan passed, you know, I could post a picture of her and I could say I'm having a really tough day. Something reminded me of her. And I had like 500 people that I didn't know saying, Mm. I understand you. I'm here for you. It's normal. It makes sense. I, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm sending you hugs. And it just really very much helped in the healing process because people weren't telling me it's just a dog. People were saying, no, I have gone through the same pain too. So I think that's, that's one of the most important things about pet loss is that just because everybody in society doesn't recognize how important this bond is, that doesn't make the bond not important. The bond is still very much important. Yeah, absolutely. There's two things that came up there when you were talking with support groups, especially for, and I don't, I, we, we don't have to go off on this tangent, but just in case anyone has ever had to euthanize their pet and have had to deal with that. I don't know if you know, I think it's losing Lulu. Is it losing? Yeah, losing Lulu is a uh, group started by Trish McMillan, who was on episode three, I think, with Jessica Heckman. And she has a support group for people who've had to euthanize their animals in the past. And it's like this just really great non-judgmental group for people who, who've, who've had to go through that. So just, uh, and then we'll get some more that, that you recommend as well. But um, just want to make sure I throw that out there because that's like a whole, that's very, th- that can be very complicated and hard for people to work through. And then I think the other thing is, you know, you mentioned it where your therapist or whoever you saw told you to get a, uh, another dog. And it reminds me of advice that people ask me for after their dog passes away. They ask like, should I get a dog or not get a dog? And my advice over the years is like whatever makes you happy, like whatever you feel like it's the right thing to do. And I think about when Sammy passed away before he did, I always said, oh, I, I would wait. Like, I don't think it's fair to bring another dog in, at least to myself, I wouldn't say it to other people. But, and then once he passed away, I got Joey actually, who you just saw jump up on my lap. I got him like a week later and um, it turned out great. But it was because like, I, I, I was like, well, I have a home. I have, I, I can, I can give a home right now. I have the emotional bandwidth to do this and it's going to help me kind of put my focus on someone else. Like that's just, that's for me was like the right way to do it. And there's other people who wait a year or two years. I know some people who never get a dog again because uh, they don't want to go through that again. So I think all of those are completely valid and okay. There's no prescribed, at least I don't think you tell me any, you're professional here, but at least from, from, from a, from an experienced perspective, helping lots of people deal with this, it's just take the judgment out of it. If you want to get another dog and you have the bandwidth to do it, that's okay. If you want to wait, that's okay too. I agree. I mean, it's very, that decision, because people ask me all the time too, it's it's very individual. So like you said, some people, they say, I want somebody to, or another animal to occupy my time to take care of, to help me move through this grieving process. And that's okay. Other people feel I can't possibly love somebody else yet. And so, and that's okay. So it's, it's whatever the person decides it's okay. There is no right answer there. 
I know people who have fostered afterwards or walk neighbor's dogs so that way they get the interaction, but they don't have to commit to a long-term relationship. So they get a little bit of both, but there, there is no right answer. It depends on the individual person. So it's whatever you need. I would recommend that people, and you said it, consider the needs of the animal that you mm-hmm. are taking into your house. So, you know, if you are so distressed that you cannot get up and take a shower yourself, I would not recommend getting a puppy because a puppy requires a lot of work. So it really, you have to keep in mind that the animal will need your time. For some people, that's super healing. You know, it's a distraction and caring for somebody else. It's it's a kind of reparative uh, relationship. And my husband kind of believes that people kind of get into specific breeds for this reason, that they, they're reenacting the same relationship over and over. There, there There's some truth to that, at least for me, I, I would say. Like, I love rat terriers, but I, I think it all came from Sammy, you know? And Absolutely. I'll... I'll I'll probably have rat terriers until the day I die. Um. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I'm, I mean, I had three other dogs and um, and I love them dearly. And it was only when my husband insisted on adopting a black lab mix that I connected on that level again. And, you know, I love my other dogs amazingly, but it wasn't the same kind of relationship as I had with my black lab until I talked to another black lab. And that's just, you know, I was like, no, it doesn't matter about the breed. But then, you know, I look at her sometimes and I feel like I'm still talking to Morgan, you know, and it's, I know I'm not, but you know, it's, it's like having a little piece of her with me. A hundred percent. There's like little expressions or there's like movements that, that remind you of them, you know, that's always kind of nice. (laughs) Absolutely. And there are other things that I recommend to people too, like their memorial necklaces where they could put a little piece of the fur or the ashes and like a necklace or a keychain. I have a DNA necklace for Morgan and Angie, my Akita, where, you know, if you get a sample of their blood before they pass, you can get it made into a DNA necklace so you can carry it with them. And in, in psychology, we call this a transitional object. Again, it's like a kid with their blankie. If they feel they have the blankie, that they have a representation of the mother with them, even if the mother isn't there. So having these memorial items is can be very powerful because you feel like you still have them with you in some form. I do very much recommend that people have memorial services, whether it be, you know, just lighting a candle at home or having a funeral. Some, there are funeral parlors for uh, pet loss. And and it's okay. Some people still have altars where they have like the ashes and the photo and stuff. Totally fine too. It's whatever a person needs. There's, there's no right or wrong answer. And I think that, you know, people are afraid sometimes of being judged, but it's not, it's not up to the rest of the world. You know, it's whatever you need to do to keep that connection. And you you don't have to give up that connection. Just when when they pass, they're still with you. Just because they're not physically there doesn't mean that you've lost that connection. And I actually have um, a little personal tidbit. I have memorial tattoos. Mm -hmm. Me too. Yeah, people get very into memorial tattoos for their pets. 
because it's another way of keeping them with you. One of mine is about, comes from Slaughterhouse-Five, which is actually a book about war and aliens and an optometrist. And it's a really crazy Vonnegut book. But the reason I have a quote from there is because the aliens in it don't see time as linear. And so they say that if somebody is dead in this moment, that's okay, because in other moments, you're still with them. Mm -hmm. So they haven't gone from your life. They're alive in other moments. And it's like, um, I often think it's just sort of like, it is definitely the price we pay for like a relationship that's so pure. Like, I feel like you just, you can't get one without the other, right? So it's just, you know, and um, when I see it that way, it doesn't necessarily make it less hard, but it helps I think, I think it just, it helps you understand just how special that relationship is. And I think the other thing too, is just for people to remember too, I think some, I think some people, especially if they don't have a lot of experience with dogs, it's not even that you think like, it's it's not even that you think dogs are the same as people or it's not this, it's just different. Like it's just, you know, and, and you don't have to hide your feelings that this loss hurt you a ton, right? Like, because I feel like it's just uh it's just really and if anyone who's had that relationship uh will will know but if you're you know struggling out there you know we've we've all been through it and the worst thing about this is is it doesn't really get any easier you know i would say if anything it probably gets harder the older i get i don't know if i'm becoming sensitized to it but yeah it's definitely a price we pay but it's definitely worth it for for what what we get but um absolutely yeah. no it I say, and the pain never goes away. We just learn to live with it every day. Yeah. And there's actually an amazing book written by social workers. It's called The Pet Loss Companion Guide. And one of my favorite chapters in there is, it, it's it's for lay people. It's not for clinicians. It's very easy to read. It's a, a small book and it, it helped me so much. Uh, one of my favorite chapters in there is, why it hurts more when your pet passes than when your parent passes. Mm. And it's not that you don't love your parents. Of course you love your, well, not everybody does, but most people love their parents. But when you're an adult, if your parents pass when you are an adult, your parents are probably not living with you. You're probably not talking to them every day. Maybe, you know, Mm -hmm. once a week at the most, you know, Um, you don't see them every day for sure, unless they're like, much older adult, but your pet, you see them every day, you feed them, you walk them, you bathe them, you cuddle with them, you take care of them when they're sick, you might give them medication. If they're scared of thunder, maybe you comfort them. When you're sad, they comfort you. So it really is much more similar to a parent-child relationship that a person has with their pet than, you know, and to be honest, I don't know anybody who has an unconditional relationship with their parents. <laughs> you know? I mean, I think every teenager in the history of world has said, I hate you to their parents at least once. Right. <laughs> right. So um, even as, even if you love your parents immensely, right. Cause they're still human. But you know, like we said, the, the animals, they give you, even if they don't, they provide the appearance of non-judgmental, unconditional love. And it's something we do not get from other humans. So, of course, that loss is huge. It's, it's, it's very painful. And people do have to, to be careful about a more complicated form of grief where they are unable to recover 
ever from the grief that that can be clinically uh, a very serious condition. But most people do eventually recover and go on a normal recovery path. But it does. There's no rush. And I think that that's very important for people to realize, too, that it's not. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, it's been a month. It's been two months. Like, why aren't you over it yet? No, you don't have to be over mm-hmm. it. You're over it when you're over it. You're never over it, actually. You will never be over it. Like I said, you just you just get used to the pain. It doesn't ever go. Yeah, it's not as, and at least for me anyways, like after, you know, a year or so, it, it doesn't, like when it first happens, it's so raw and it can be so raw for so long. And then that that eventually, that rawness goes away, but still once or twice a year, because it's been five years now, I think. And still once or twice a year, like like uh, like I was walking by an old place where we used to train. I used to take him to the dog run. I was on a run a couple of weeks ago and just it just hit me like really hard all of a sudden. So it gets easier, I would say, at least from my, you know, minuscule experience of, of dealing with this. But it, yeah, it takes time. And um, maybe we can, I was thinking maybe uh, uh, I, I can post our, our memorial tattoos in the notes uh, along with this. I think people might actually want to see that because um, I have a couple as well, that Buster and Sammy. Um, and um, the other thing looking at your research was uh, you mentioned animal assisted therapy for pet grief. And I just thought that was um interesting because i'm sure there's some people where that might not be the right case and other people uh where it is but um that just seemed like a really interesting sort of angle um so have you seen this in practice like using animal assisted therapy for for pet grief or is this like kind of like an area of interest for you um it's not so animal assisted therapy can be very effective with any kind of trauma Um, right and certainly when somebody loses a pet you know as spending time with another animal, especially, like I said, it's almost like fostering or walking a neighbor's pet, you know, spending time with an animal that maybe they're not ready to commit to adopting their own, maybe they, or getting their own, maybe they feel like getting a new pet would betray that memory of their old pet. Some people feel that way. Some people don't, that's okay. But, um, so this way they can interact with an animal in a safe environment, they can explore Mm. their feelings about their pet, but they don't, they aren't as kind of as much at risk. Interesting. Almost, almost like a a rebound relationship. (laughs) Right. So they're, you know, they get to, they get to enjoy the company of an animal without being so vulnerable and being afraid of that loss because they know it's not actually their pet. So like you said, but you were, you were, you know, you made a very good point. It really depends again on the clients. A lot of grief counseling for pet loss really involves more like kind of Native American themes, talking about spirit animals, that kind of stuff, or memorials, you know, saying little uh, kind of, even if you're not religious, kind of spiritual prayers, just recognizing the importance of the animal in your life. So you don't have to have an animal involved in the therapy. But like I said before, that oxytocin level goes up, that feel-good hormone goes up when you interact with animals. So when you are in distress and you interact with an animal, it does help you kind of relieve some of that stress and some of that sadness, you know, biologically, because you have lost when somebody passes, whether it be a pet or a person, 
like I said, you have that oxytocin withdrawal. So spending time with another animal will, it won't fill you up in the same way, but you know, you will get a, a little kind of relief actually. Right. But again, it depends okay. on the individual because some people just aren't ready. They don't want, I, you know, my heart was broken. I don't want to connect with another animal ever again. And that's fine. That's understandable too. It's it's a very individualistic process. My my husband thinks he wants to clone one of our dogs when he eventually passes. And I keep telling him it's not. There's an episode. <laughs> That'd be a great episode. No, it's not going to happen, but uh, he can dream. (laughs) Well, you know, it's, it's funny though. Like I I can see why I'd be lying if I never had this conversation before. Now I I haven't actually been down the road of being serious about this, but you know, sort of thinking through this and this kind of goes back to a previous episode where we talk about genetics and behavior and is it the same dog or is it not? And, um, so if anyone wants to want, wants to go listen to that episode, by all means, I think it's episode three with Jessica Heckman and uh, Trish McMillan. So you, you could definitely uh, check that out. But yeah, that's great. And I think that's, yeah, that, that's super helpful for people to know. So I'm really glad. Thanks for uh, walking us through that. So, so just sort of to wrap up here, if, there, if people wanted to follow your research and what you do and what you're up to, what's the best way to do that? I know we have Wiggly Pups, which is your your business in New York City, your your daycare. Do you do boarding there as well? Yes. Boarding. Yes, boarding. yeah. We walk just in that catchment area, so just very closely locally. Okay. So very few clients we do walking, but it's daycare, boarding, and grooming mostly. And which which neighborhood are you located in Gramercy again? Park. Gramercy, that's what I thought. I was gonna say and I was like, better not say in case it's not, but yeah, that 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 was it. So I know so that that's your business. So if people are looking for training help or uh, daycare or boarding in that area that's there but like in terms of following your research or you know what you're up to how can people best follow you so Wiggly pups is the business surrey hills sanctuary my husband is from surrey england so surrey hills sanctuary nice. is uh the nonprofit. i have twitter i have instagram there's a facebook page I need to update them more often, but I'm busy. So I try to do it as often as I can. I really do. Just I try to post when I am doing uh, lectures, uh, when I publish new papers. I think I told you before, until you do this, it sounds nuts. But I'm currently looking into the benefits of bovine-assisted therapy, which the Dutch call Mm -hmm. cuddling. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's awesome saying earlier one of my cows thinks he's a toy poodle he wants to get in my car and go to the store with me like uh, he's thousand pound bull and he's just so affectionate you know i try to i have my book coming out probably next year it's in the final stages and i do have a website although it's it's more of a holding page but facebook instagram twitter those are probably the the best ways to reach me. You know, most of what I do is currently is focused on the research, education, and just disseminating the information. Uh, okay. Whether it be publishing or teaching, um, that kind of stuff. Because, like you said, you know, it's a it's a fascinating field to me, and a lot of people want to know. And don't know where to begin. So yeah, kind of become my mission is to 
show people where to begin. So yeah, you're 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 a pioneer. Um, <laughs> and I, I also found you are on ResearchGate as well. Yes. So I'll put that link out there Research so people Gate, can find your research. ResearchGate and Academia.edu, both of them. Okay. Perfect. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's your Twitter handle and your Instagram handle? So people have that. Twitter is Kate Compitus and Instagram it's SH Sanctuary. Perfect. Facebook has a Weekly Pubs page and a Surrey Hills Sanctuary page. So I do have a, a private Instagram, but Surrey Hills Sanctuary has a uh, has a page. So people can come Perfect. through there. And I should mention just, just about your sanctuary, just to be clear for everyone. Um, so if you want to check that out, and they definitely do donations and they provide, they, they are a sanctuary where you are providing, you know, care for these animals who are with you, but you're not like a... This isn't like a shelter or a rescue where you're like taking, you're not doing intake of new animals. So just so we don't flood Catherine with yes, um, please. with those requests. <laughs> yes, no, we do not take from the public. It's very rare. It's mostly seniors and special needs and only through kind of a associated agencies. So we don't take from the public and we're kind of full up at the moment anyway. We really do a lot of it on our own. It It's wonderful. It's amazing. Like I said, most of them are seniors or special needs, but that requires a lot of time and a lot of care. But we are a 501c3 so we are a legal nonprofit. and and you guys are a little is it a is it you guys you guys are in goshen right mm-hmm. goshen new york and that's in uh, i think that's orange county yes new york right perfect just in case uh any locals or people are passing through or whatever wonderful and then so my last question for you is uh something i ask every guest so it doesn't have to be related to this topic at all but just sort of based on all of your experience you know as a trainer and a, a, re- a researcher in this space but just sort of like all of your experience with with dogs or animals what's one piece of advice you would give to to pet owners based on everything you've learned i have actually two pieces if that's okay okay that's okay the first it's five dollars for an extra one, so that's right. okay. you can buy me a beer. <laughs> uh, the first piece of advice is that it's okay to cry, and whether that be for pet loss or frustration, or because like maybe you're trying to train something and it's not kind of working out right, but mostly I'm saying that to the people of puppies because I seriously have walked up to complete strangers on the street who have been crying. And I said, Oh, do you have a puppy? And they said, how did you know? And I have said, it is okay to cry. It's hard. It's hard work and it's rewarding and it pays off. It's not easy. And it's okay to acknowledge that. The other thing I would say is, and, and you know this very, very well, that training is not a regulated industry. There are some very famous, very horrible, alleged trainers out there that provide a lot of misinformation that, you know, my cousin could go out and say they're a trainer and and charge people, even if they don't know anything about it. So people really need to do their homework and find reputable trainers like your group, like your agency, really, if they don't feel comfortable, they really need to say something. Because if they're not comfortable, 
it's a good chance that their their pet isn't comfortable. So if you don't like what your dog is going through, there's a chance your dog's not liking it too. And I think I told you this before, you know, my thousand pound bull is I taught him to walk nicely on a leash uh, using positive reinforcement training only. And it's it's not bribery. I get a paycheck when I work, you know, so he gets his treats when he works. So it's unless they're, you know, very specific circumstances. If you work with anger, if you come at somebody, anyone, human, dog, cat, bear, iguana, I don't care what it is. If you come at anyone with anger, you're going to get fear and anger back. Yeah, absolutely. If you come with love and understanding, that's what you get back. So you want to work cooperatively. You want to, that the whole point of the human-animal bond, the definition is a mutually beneficial relationship that considers the well-being of both the person and the animal. And so that's what, what we should always consider, that everybody, it needs to be win-win here. Yeah, and I and just to just to piggyback on that a little bit, I think the the thing I would add to that is making sure that you that the that the trainer is being respectful and it's like mutually beneficial both to the both to you as the owner and to your dog because some some people are really great with people, but their their methods with dogs might not be so great and vice versa. So you, you should feel comfortable all the way around. And I'm a pretty big believer that even if you if you if you know of three really reputable good trainers in your area and you haven't worked with one yet, talk to all three because the the reality is no one trainer is going to be the right fit for everyone, even if they're all their methods are sound. Because you do need to click. There is an art to this in addition to the science, and some of the art is really around coaching people. And everyone's c- coaching style is going to be a little bit different, and you might not gel with someone as good as you would with someone else. So I just wanted to piggyback on that no, too. Absolutely. <laughs> and the same with therapy. People people worry about trying different therapists. And, you know, first off, no shame in going to a therapist because no right. perfect life. I do not know anyone with a perfect life. And it always helps to talk to somebody who is outside of your out of your social circle. So somebody who is completely independent, third party, they're not involved, they're not invested. So a therapist is and a trained person is very helpful. So let's take away that stigma. There's no shame in going to a therapist, but there's also no shame in trying different therapists. So mm-hmm. I like to say it's like dating and, the, and finding a, a trainer for your dog is the same way. You don't have to marry the first person you go on a date with. Right. You know, the trainer, like you said, might have very sound technique, but might not click with the person. Therapists are like that too. They could be a very skilled therapist, but if it's not the right fit, it's not the right fit. And people should feel comfortable trying different therapists and, you know, don't, don't go to one and then just give up. And it's, you know, try again, try again. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's a good point because even there's even sometimes where I've seen on both ends with us where someone might have worked with someone and they're taking their dog up to a certain point and that switch at that point because the way we do things was the right fit at that point and vice versa where we took someone up to a point and they work with a colleague on something else because they did something really well there. So a good trainer is not going to care about that. And uh, 
if you have to make a switch at some point, um, you're absolutely right. You, you can make that switch in and, and good professionals are going to be like, you should have those open conversations with people because they might be able to transition like their notes or any of those things. Like that should be something that reputable people should, should encourage anyway. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're not just because you picked a trainer doesn't mean you're stuck with us forever. So if, if you need to change things up, that's totally normal sometimes. Absolutely. Timing is everything sometimes for, for yeah. careers, for relationships, for, you know, working relationships. I mean, like you said, somebody who's the right fit today might not be the right fit in 10 years. You know, you might have yep. different needs. So. Yep. Absolutely. Well, cool. Well, thank you very much. That was wonderful. Really helpful for people. Hopefully we'll have you back again someday as you're, as you're, as you plow ahead with this. Thank you. I would love that. That would be wonderful.